All right, Mark 13, if you will. We're going to get started there. Mark 13. And uh, we got down through verse number 4 and 5 last time, so we're going to pick back up here at verse 5 and just kind of give a, I want to give an overview kind of of this section, uh, chap, uh, verses 6 to 13 here. And in verses 6 to 13, we're going to see the issue. We, again, we talked about this um, last time. The, the Lord is coming out of the, He's coming out of the temple. He's on his way to Calvary, two days out. Uh, he's two days away from, being, from, uh, from, from dying. And what's on his mind as he's going to the cross are these things that are going to follow the cross. And really, the issue of the kingdom glory. Uh, he's going to die, then this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and he's doing that. So as they come out of the temple now, he, he, and, and he, they're getting ready. Again, in Mark, the, the last there, the widow's mite, that picture of the little flock and so forth. He's now going to take his apostles. Uh, um, he's going to take their verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately. So he takes the four boys, the two sets of brothers, and he begins to teach them. He begins to, uh, to educate them about what's coming. The, Judas has just pitched a big uh, fit there in the first couple verses about the, the splendor of, the grandeur of, of the temple, the religion there, and uh, the old saying is uh, for religion, religion says beauty for the eyes, beauty for the ears, empty of the truth, and that's kind of what it is, and that's really what Judas is all about, is he's, what do you mean we're leaving, and he, and the Lord pulls the four boys over, and he, and the, the four apostles, and he begins to respond to their question coming out of verse number four, tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the signs when all these things shall be fulfilled? And again, he's going to answer them in reverse order. He's going to answer what shall be the signs, and when all these are going to be fulfilled. And what he's going to do is, he's, we're going to get down here in a minute, or not in a minute, a couple weeks. It would be great if it was a minute. That would mean I'm a wonderful communicator. <laughs> Not always. But anyway, he's going to get down later in the chapter, and he's going to say, you know what, you can't know when it's going to come. Okay? But then he's going to deal with the, the signs. Verse 5, and Jesus answering them began to say, take heed lest any man deceive you. And in answering the question in verses 6 through 13, He's going to answer this issue about the deception. And he's going to look around and say, don't be deceived. When you see this, it's not the case. When you see that, that's not the case. This, When you see all of this, it's just the beginning of it, not the end of it. And then when we get down in verse 14 and following, we'll see he moves right into the midst of the week, the middle of the 70th week of Daniel. He, doesn't, he never mentions... And Mark really doesn't really mention it in Matthew or in Luke where he about the beginning of the 70th week. He moves right to the middle of it. And then we'll see the parable of the fig tree and the religious apostasy and so forth. And, and really why he does that is because that's not the point here. The point is take heed, guys, pay attention the whole issue here is the, 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 the deception. There's a deception coming against the little flock, against the 12, and you've got to pay attention to this. You've got to be aware of this. And again, Satan's attempt here, uh, he, he told, the Lord tells Peter, Peter, Satan's trying to sift you. He's trying to get you. He's trying to deceive you. And what he's going to do and how he's going to try and do it is he's going to try to deceive you by using a counterfeit activity. And he's going, to, he's going to use some counterfeit things. He's going to make you 
focus in on the wrong. And while he's doing that, it, the whole goal is to worship him. It, the whole goal is to make him the most high, to make him the Messiah. So when you come into this, uh, it, it look over with me at Luke 18. Again, in Mark, the way that Mark presents the Lord in that issue of the servants, and as he's looking at the servants, okay, he's doing so because of he's focusing in on what they are going to be doing in this circumstance. Matthew, here's the king, two chapters, 24 and 25, great dissertation about events and steps and so forth. Mark doesn't care about any of that. Here's what they're doing. Luke comes in. He really doesn't care about the details either. Here's what the Son of Man's going to be doing. So you, you get this great clarity. Luke 18, if you look at verse 8, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. I, 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 it's, it's wonderful there. He's going to do a, he, The vengeance of God on Israel's enemies is going to come quickly. He's not going to be taking his time. He's, not, he's coming and he's going to be doing it. When he, when he comes down out of that route out of, uh, uh, in his second coming, it's like two days, two and a half days. Bleeds into the third day with the events around Jerusalem. That's quick. He's moving. He's not coming down and going, do, 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 you know. He's moving. Now keep reading verse 8. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh. See, that's the focus of Luke. The Son of Man, when he comes, shall he find faith on the earth? That's the great question. And that's what, you come back to Mark 13, that's what, there's a, the indication from the question is when he comes back, he's going to look out across Israel and he's going to find no faith. He's going to, a complete blank. A lack of faith in him as Messiah, in him as Lord, in him as King, in him at anything. There's going to be that little believing remnant, and that's all he's going to find. So, the, so when, they come, when we start here in verse 6, 13, 6, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. It's the issue of the deception. That's the viewpoint. That's the push. And I know you get into the modern-day commentaries and you get into the modern, you know, the, the whoop-de-doo preachers and the prophecy guys today, and they're going to use a lot of this. And in reality, none of this, well, obviously none of it has to do with us today in the age of grace. So as long as the dispensation of grace is going on, none of this is, is being fulfilled. It's happening. Even though I know we can look at things around us in the world and go, oh, there it is. Ooh. No, it's not because we're in the dispensation of grace. See, we walk by faith, not by sight. We're not worried about that. We're, we're doing this. And honestly, if you can get that clear in your head and like that be the benchmark, we're in the age of grace, none of this stuff, then you don't get tripped up in it. You don't get pulled off into confusion. So there's this deception. Many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Now, Paul is going to talk about this. Come over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And this, this wonderful passage here in 2 Thessalonians, one we went through when we studied the book in great detail, and yet it causes believers, body of Christ folks, great headaches because they try to make it say something that it isn't saying. If you look there at verse 1, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. Okay, well, that's a pull back into 1 Thessalonians 4 and the events of what is called the rapture. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together. The coming of our Lord is going to reference chapter 1. How does he come back? In flaming fire. And what? By our gathering. We're beseeching you. We're talking to you here, guys. That ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled. Now, that's, this passage gets used constantly to cause nothing but trouble in the minds of believers today. 
because they twist it. Neither by spirit, nor by word, now watch, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. So then everybody, and by the way, verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. Everybody go, oh, see, look, the day of Christ. And they didn't read verse 2. What's shaking the minds of the Thessalonians? They got a letter written by Paul that said the day of Christ, which, by the way, in Paul's epistles is a happy day. It is another, it's a term that references the rapture event, us going home to be with our Savior constantly. You know, in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and Philippians, oh, it's a happy day. But what has happened? They have received a letter, somebody wrote down, that that day is at what? Is at hand. Well, then they say, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And that man. But see, verse 3 isn't what was in the letter. What was in the letter? You've missed the rapture. The day of Christ is at hand. Verse 3 is Paul's answer to the letter. Paul's answer is, what the guys wrote about in the letter is not the day of Christ. It is the day of the Lord, i.e. the Antichrist, and subsequently down to verse 12. You follow? So the verse 2-2 two, two is an answer to what's troubling them, see? And I don't know how many well-meaning folks just missed that completely. Oh, man, we're going to have a falling away. We're seeing it today. The falling away has nothing to do with the church. It's talking about Israel. It's talking about where we're at in Mark 13. What the Lord is telling the little flock is coming out there. There's a great deception coming. You follow? See, so don't let this passage become, well, I don't want to go there because I'm timid. No, verse 2, they got a letter that said the day of Christ, and they made out the events to be at hand. Do you know when the rapture's coming? You don't. There's no way to time it. There's no way to mark it. Can you mark when the day of the Lord's coming? Yes, you can. There's timing markers all through prophecy. It, start, it starts, actually, the day of the Lord started with the Babylonian captivity under Nebuchadnezzar because it's God's wrath being passed out there. See, oh, oh really? What? See, you can mark it all through. The rapture, you can't mark. It's a mystery. It's been kept secret. Now it's made known, see? So what he's doing here is he's like, look, guys, here's the answer. Here's the deal. Don't you remember... 1 Corinthians 5, or I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians 5, where I showed you this more perfectly. You had perfect understanding that we're not in the day of the Lord. And then you guys get a letter that says, well, you missed the day of Christ. See how the, the troublemakers change the terminology to day of Christ? Again, in Paul's epistles, day of Christ is a wonderful thing. Is it, all right, now, I'm, this is not even what we're after. We're after verse number 9. <laughs> Okay, but so this section here, Paul's going to go into, and actually in verse 3 through verse 12, Paul gives one of the most complete and accurate, obviously it's the Word of God, description of the career of the Antichrist. In the first three and a half years, what he's going to do, and in the back three and a half years, what's going to be accomplished. He's the only one outside of Daniel and Revelation, to give this information. So it's critical to come from our apostle, because what do us dumb, dumb believers over here do sometimes? Oh, he's fulfilling prophecy. No, he's not. That's why Paul's like, don't get shook by this. Because this that day in verse 3, see, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. That day, that's a reference to what was contained in the letter, attributed to the day of Christ, and in reality, it's a tribute to its details pertaining to the Antichrist. 
How do you know? Finish the verse 3. Who's he talking about? Except the, the man of sin and the son of perdition. And there's a falling away. See, the man of sin and the son of perdition, the man of sin, that first beginning, that first, this contract signed with the Antichrist starts at Revelation 6. He's the first horseman. That doesn't happen because there was a falling away first. That happens way over here. The falling away happens way over here. Why? Because prophecy doesn't see the church, the body of Christ interrupted. You with me? Okay. So you kind of got to pay attention here a little bit. But anyway, I'm after verse 9. Verse nine okay. Ver, uh, ver, yeah, verse 9. Even him... The wicked one, verse 8, by the way, and then shall that wicked be revealed. Who would the wicked be? Capital W, it's a title. There's the Antichrist. He's the son of, he's the man of sin, the son of perdition. He gets his power from the adversary. Verse 9, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan. Now watch, with all power and signs and lying wonders. He's talking about the Antichrist. He's talking about the wicked one. And what's that guy going to do? He's going to do wonders. He's going to do miracles. And they're going to attribute it to God. And Paul says, you better be careful when you see not to, to be deceived. Mark, the Lord is saying, be careful. Don't be deceived because every miracle isn't from God. Here's a guy doing power and signs and lying wonders. Think about Deuteronomy 13. First, verse 1 to about verse 13, I think, especially the first four verses. Moses tells Israel how to test out the signs they see. By the way, who operates by signs? Not you and I. Israel does. See, Paul here is not talking about us going through the 70th week of Daniel, he's talking about, hey, here's the events of that day. Moses says, you see a sign happen, and it's real, it's legit, and the doer of the sign says, hey, let's go over here to the Baal and violate and go against the word of God. You're to take him out and kill him. He's an, he's an antichrist. But wait a minute, the sign came true. Well, but what did the guy say? Let's follow the sign and not the word of God. See, Moses tells Israel, it's a test. God's testing you, Israel, to see if you're going to follow the word of God or you're going to follow the signs. So you've got to be careful. He does it again. <laughs> you remember in Matthew 7, the Lord says they're, they're going to come and they're going to do a lot of, they're going to do might, mighty works. And they're going to say, we did it in your name. And he's going to say, I didn't know you. Depart from me, ye, ye workers of iniquity. See, just because they can do doesn't mean they're right. So be careful, guys. And the whole point here is in that day of the Antichrist, when he comes, he's going to come, he's going to counterfeit what God's doing. So the performing of miracles and signs and wonders is not a sign that you're getting from the, from, the, from the God of the Bible. You need to be careful with this little flock. You need to be on board. By the way, verse 10, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Now here's why they're deceived. Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. They, they, don't, they, don't, they don't love the truth, and that's the issue. He's, he's testing Israel. He's got the, the Antichrist, Isaiah 10, is a rod of my indignation, even though he doesn't mean to be that, he is. And he puts Israel under that to find out who loves, who wants the truth, and then who doesn't. And those that don't, off you go. Those you do, in you go. And that's what he's doing. Verse 11, and for this God cause, God shall send them strong delusion. That's why this is God doing it. He's trying to find out. He's, 
He's cleaning out the rubble of his people that they should believe a lie, that they might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I, I, it just, he's, he sends the Isaiah 10, he sends the Antichrist. And Isaiah says he, his heart was not set to do this. In other words, being God's rod. But God, what does God's word do? It reads you, reads your heart. He knows he's going to go do it. He's the guy. God says, I'm just going to use him, and I'm going to clean up. He's using the lie to find out who wants the lie or the truth. And that's the issue. Come back to Mark 13. That's the issue in Mark 13. The issue here is the events that are going to be coming. Okay, when the lie program will be in their midst, the Antichrist, the wicked one, will be there. In their midst, they're not to be deceived. They're not to, they're not to fall for the lie. The lie, Romans 125, who, who took the, the truth of God and changed it. Um, I just had it because I was thinking about it on the way in. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. You take you, the creature, and you exalt the creature. That's the lie. You don't do that. No, that's what the adversary does. So in 13 of Mark, verse 6 to 13, he's going to say, here's some things you guys are going to see. False Christ, wars, rumors of wars whole list of stuff. And you know what? That's not the issue. It isn't those things. Rather, it isn't the events. It's rather you're wanting the truth or do you want the lie? Which one do you want? Moses tells Israel, I set before you life and death. Choose. Please choose life. That's what the Lord's doing. These events are going to come. False Christ are going to come. Verse 6. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. They're going to come in his name. They're carrying his name. They're saying, by the way, notice, I am. You see that word Christ is an italics? It's needed to make the English correct. They're literally saying, I am. Well, who said that? Jehovah did. They're literally coming in saying, I'm Jehovah, and doing and performing. Again, Moses, who are you? He says, I am that I am. I am filling the, I'm Jehovah Rephaki, Jehovah needs, and he starts filling, whatever you need me to be, that's what I'll be for you. These guys come in, and they literally present themselves to be God's Christ, Messiah, Jehovah. And he's like, don't fall for it. That's not the one. Complete deception program. And, and guess what? <laughs> it's, and shall deceive many. They're gonna, a lot of people are going to fall for it. You look around today, I read an article a little, a few, well, I guess a couple years ago now, and there was something like, they said from the day of Christ to current, something like 800 or so people have come claiming to be Christ. I'm like, and you know what? People fall for it, left and right. They're literally claiming to, verse 6, claiming to be Christ. And they're to look at them, and they're to, I mean, again, what, what does the Word of God tell these folks? How are you going to identify them? That's why 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, those seven tests through there, is for that little flock, these guys, as they go through that tribulation period of time, that they can identify truth from error. That's what it's there for. 2nd Peter, by the way, picks up too and helps them out with the false thing. So, you know what? He says you better be careful. 
Verse 6, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Little flock, 12, you need to be careful. Look down at verse 20. And except that the Lord had shortened those days, and that'll be the 70th week specifically, but no, look at that, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. Look at verse 22. For false Christs and false prophets shall arise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. Do you know that if, he, if God let the days run their course, no flesh would be left standing? The elect would succumb to it eventually. That's how much of a smooth operator he is. So if, again... He shortened them seven years. He put a boom. Why? Because if he let it go, it would just get them all. That's how deceptive this is. So again here, these signs, the, uh, verse 6, verse 7, And when ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be not troubled. Look at that. You know, these things are going to come up. You're going to see them, but the end shall not be yet. You're going to see all this going on. You're going to think, how could it get even worse? And you know what? It's not the end yet. Now, I know we do that. We look around at the church today and go, how could it get any worse? But you know what? It ain't the end yet. You know how you know? You're still here. (laughs) You didn't come back. See? That's what these guys are going to be doing. That's why they ask, what shall the signs be? To help us out here so we can... And he says, well, first of all, there's going to be a bunch of signs of deception sent your way to get you out, to sift you, to seduce you away from being who you're supposed to be. Verse 7, rumors, you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. I can hear uh, the guy down in Texas. Oh, Haggy? Oh, the... You know, just the old, old man, the young man, the, his... Son's not the same way. <laughs> he just ba boom, ba boom. And I'm like, dude, rumors, wars, and rumors of war? I mean, really? Use this passage for today because we're going to Afghanistan. You know, I watched, that wasn't him, I watched another guy, and he literally had a map of the Middle East, and he had the United States and Afghanistan, and he had us in Afghanistan and Iraq. And we were opening the back door into the Middle East so that the Antichrist could come riding in. And I'm like, the Antichrist is not using a back door. He's coming full bore through the front door and out of the north. You know, he's not coming from over here. He's coming. And it's just, why? Because they've got an agenda. they got a thing or whatever. And it's like, but what, did the, what does that verse say? Are you going to go by what God's word says or not? And again, he's getting to the hard issue for these guys. And I'll be honest with you, it's for some of us too that tend to drift off into this going, wait a minute, let's go back right over here. But the end shall not be. Verse 8, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be earthquakes in diverse places, divers, diversity of places and so you know what that means the big one in california is just a big one in california doesn't mean anything other than maybe the half the state falls off the map okay and there shall be famines and troubles these are the beginnings of sorrow look at that i heard a guy when covid hit here's the pestilence it's on nope sorry first of all if it was it's not the end it's what the beginning you know when the guy when all of the mega guy the mega the big preachers were talking about getting the the the, uh taking the vaccine and it being the mark of the beast and all this stuff and i'm just sitting there going all they're doing is keeping people scared so they can keep control of them it's, by the way, famine isn't COVID. Famine is not eating. Famine's not having food and water. 
what's going on here? You see, this stuff takes place, by, by the way, all of this takes place in the Middle East, not here in America, not in Great Britain, not in Turkey. Now, Turkey's getting close because that's Middle East. Because when, when God focuses in everything on the Middle East because that's the land that he promised to his nation. That's the land that he's going to bless with through his nation. Not the United States, not North America, South America, Africa. Sorry. We're, we get the benefit of it down the road. You know, not we personally, us today, but the nation. God's not raising up America. That's a long gone thing. You know, we, we happen to have some national consequences of some fallout of some of our forefathers being a little bit more moral and carrying some of the Judeo-Christian idea and morality. It has happened to be a stronghold in this country until the 19, late 50s, early 60s, and then it started slipping away. That's why. We're not God's nation. God has one nation, the nation of Israel, and he says, Romans 11, they're cast away, they're set aside, they're not the issue today. I'm not in the real estate business, I'm over here in the bodybuilding business. Okay? So, keep, I'm, I say all that so you and I keep ourselves out of this, and here's what's really happening. Now look at verse 7. When you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled. Now, Come back to Psalms 112. <clears throat> Psalms 112. Because you've <laughs> the Lord Jesus Christ, in Mark were two days before Calvary. In John 13, 14, 15, and 16, and 17, he's in the upper room the night before. So the major bulk of John is in one setting in the upper room in the hours before Calvary. And what does he tell him in like John 14? Let not your heart be troubled, and so forth. Let not, he says it several times, let not your heart be troubled. You see, trouble is coming. That's what he's telling these guys. Trouble, rumors of wars, famine, pestilence, desolate, trouble is coming. So let's be, you need to be prepared for it. Again, not us today. You know, we have our own trouble, but not this. Psalms 112, look at verse 7. Actually, verse 5. A good man showeth favor and lendeth. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting rem remembrance. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart, so we're talking about a good man, a righteous man. His heart is what? Established. He's not, he shall not be afraid until he sees his desire, uh, I'm sorry, his heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart, is established. He shall not be afraid until he see his desire upon his enemies. You see, that's what he's telling them in Mark 13, 7, when he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be troubled. Just trust my word. Don't let all this other noise out here get you off of what I have promised you I'm going to do for you. What I've told you. Let not your heart be troubled, because I loved you, you love me, and we all love the Father, and the Father's going to do this. So let's, again, John 14, let's just stick, stick on the plan here, guys. There's no safety in the deception. The only way to defeat the deception is to trust his word. And that's what the Antichrist is going to come in. He's going to come in. You, you remember the Antichrist, Daniel? He says he comes in with that policy of peace. Peace. 
He rescues Israel, Daniel 10, 11, from the great war and the fatness of the land. And when he does that, he establishes the bond where they sign the covenant. He's literally going to raise the temple in 220 days. That temple being raised is going to call every Jew of the world back to the motherland. It's time to go home. New York empties out. Chicago empties out. Phoenix empties out. Everybody goes home. Why? Because they all, that's where they all want to go is home. They just, boom, go right back. See? So the Antichrist has what? He's got a captive audience, doesn't he? He just lays it in on them. And he comes with that false peace. Paul says, 1 Thessalonians 5. <laughs> For when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. <laughs> well, why? Because that's the deception. He's, he, the goal of the Antichrist is the same goal of the adversary, and that is the complete annihilation of the Jew. Completely annihilate him. So when you come back to Mark 13, verse 7, and when ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be not troubled. Don't be, stay on the truth, stay on the book, stay where, right where you're supposed to be. Verse 7, for such things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. Now, that little phrase, for, the, for such things must needs be is a very interesting little turn there. Uh, come back with me to uh, Genesis 15. I'll use this one because it's easily to, easy to see and with the hour and so forth instead of running a ton of verses. So you, you, you got to see what's happening here. As the, in Mark 13, as the Lord is educating them, again, Matthew 24, Matthew 25, Luke 21 and so forth, when he's doing that, he's, he's educating them about what's going to happen in the tribulation, in that 70th week, what's going to happen in leading up to it. And, there's a, and the, really what he's doing is, is he's like, look, that I'm going to write on my nice clean board. Here they are. Okay? Calvary hasn't happened yet. He's looking over here to the 70th week, his second coming, the establishing of the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign. He's, look, he's over here. Here we are, Mark 13. He's looking all the way over here. By the way, you know how you know that? Down in verse 14 of chapter 13, he says, in the midst of the week, there's an abomination going to happen. When you see that, let whosoever read Daniel, then let's get going. Ye that are in Judea, flee to the mountains. And by the way, Judea, not America. Sorry. Not Judea. Why? Because everybody's come there into that Mediterranean area. He's looking over and he's like, okay, here, remember, what's the signs? And he starts talking about events. He's got wars. The city's going to be destroyed. Rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines. He's got all that. And he says, that ain't it. That's not it. This is just what's leading up. And by the way, <laughs> be careful. Because you know what the preachers are going to say? We're in it. You're not in it. That day right there starts Revelation 6 with the first horseman. We're not there. Well, you know, they're, they're going to say that they are, I. what is it, I am Christ. Nope, not there. You see, be careful, guys. Be careful. Then he says, these things must needs be. Why? Because we got all of this before we can get there. You see, it's cli the climax is here. The crescendo, you know, when you play, the, you hear the orchestra play, and ba 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 ba, you know, the crescendo is here. We're not there over here. We're just 
warming up. Be me, 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 mo, 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 me, me, me. You know, we're just we got to have all this get there, okay? But all of this has been coming on since back here. Say Genesis 15. You see, there's a there, there's these events that are happening that come along through history and they're coming along to bring this to the climactic event of the signing and the contract and the antichrist and then all of this is going to climax out in the day when the day when the lord's return comes back there's a there's a crescendo coming okay paul says in second thessalonians where we were the mystery of iniquity doth already work and everybody goes ooh but you know that word iniquity means more than sin. In Ezekiel 28, when they describe Satan and Lucifer and his fall, and he says, iniquity was found in you. That's the first time you see that word associated. So iniquity is associated with the policy of evil advanced by the adversary. So when you see people advancing the policy of evil, of the adversary, you know what they're advancing? Iniquity. You see, we get this brain, you know, religion is crammed into our thinking that iniquity is over here, you know, getting drunk on a Saturday night. That's iniquity. No, it's not. It's just getting drunk and being stupid. Iniquity. It's a special kind of issue describing Satan's program and its emphasis on... And, and then he looks at the, the, those that participate in it. By the way, there's a reason why it's mystery iniquity. It's a hidden thing. It's not a. It's it's not it's not hidden like a secret. Like you know, we think about the mystery being a secret, and so it's it's hidden in that it's running in behind the scene. It's not out front. What's out front? The grandeur of the temple the goodly stones, the pomp, the circumstance, you know. But what's pulling the strings? This guy called iniquity. And that's what he's doing here. And again, the day of the Lord, it starts way back over here with old Nebi and Babylon. And then it moves out. It doesn't even really end until the new heaven and the earth are established. It's very fascinating. Genesis 15, you found it, right? All that was so you could find Genesis 15. Look at verse 16. Now, in Genesis 15, the Lord's come to Abraham. He's going he's gonna to confirm the covenant with, Ab- with Abraham, puts him in deep sleep. Well, actually, you know, it's Abram. Hadn't changed his name yet. We got the birth of Ishmael coming. He's promised him the birth of Isaac. His faith is counted for righteousness, verse 5 and 6. So he's, he's confirming that promise of the seed with Abraham. Okay? Verse 16. But in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again. Now watch. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Do you see that iniquity of the Amorites? <laughs> Amorites, parasites, pedrosites, Jebusites, anything with the ites on the end are bad news people. Okay? You stay away from them in Scripture, in the Old Testament. Okay? But notice it's the iniquity of. They're, those are the people in the land that belongs to Israel, belongs to Abraham. And he says, Abraham, in the fourth generation, by the way, that works out to be who? Moses, Exodus time period. Moses takes them out. What were they supposed to do? They were supposed to cross the Red Sea, delivered by power and by blood, get on the other side, spend about five days, six days, What's it say there? I can't. Um, it's an 11-day journey from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea. 
they had 11 days to travel up to the edge of the land. In those 11 days, the Lord tells Moses, they know me as God Almighty. I want them to know me as Jehovah. So when you get over here, we're going to have five tests. And when we get there, you do what I tell you, and it's a Jehovah compound name. Jehovah Rafeki. Jehovah, and he comes up there. They're out of water. What does he do? He comes up, smite the rocks, whacks the rocks, water comes out. Goes over there, the bitter waters. Dump the tree in, now it's sweet. All right? So he's providing their, all of their daily bread. He's providing all of their daily. And all it was designed to do was to teach Israel who he was. Not as God Almighty Creator, but now as God as Jehovah, their Lord, the great I Am. What did they do? They get down there, all they did was murmur and complain. Why? Because coming out, they're a mixed multitude. They're not all believers. There's, they're, you know, we're getting out of Egypt. Woohoo, let's go. So they get over there, and then Moses, you know, so then they wander around the wilderness for 40 years. Wait a second. This is like Gilligan's Island. They took an th- 11-day tour, and it took them 40 years. You see, they, hey, the fourth generation, when you come up there, and you get on the edge of that land to go in and dispossess the people that are in there, it isn't time yet. Their iniquity hasn't come to the fullness yet. We're over here. Genesis 15. The iniquity of the Amorite is not yet full. You're over here. It isn't time. By the fourth generation, not really going to be time either. But you guys are going to screw up anyway, so you're just going to go walk around. But by the time we get here... You know what? Their iniquity is full up. The crusha- so it's been building and building and building and building. And it's going to be on climactic display in the Antichrist. When he rides in on that white horse, rider number one. By the way, the, all the four riders are him in different elements. So people say, well, couldn't the Lord just wipe them out? Well, yeah. He's God, but that's not the point. The point is, is what does God have? He's got a plan of wisdom. And that wisdom plan demonstrates his wisdom. And then the lie program has a wisdom plan. So now we have dueling plans. And God says, that's okay. That's good. I'm going to win in the end, but that's good. Now man, pick. Who are you going to follow? You're going to follow my wisdom, or you're going to follow the ad- Satan's, the lie. Which one are you going to do? You see. So when when we're in this, uh, look on your way back to Mark. Look at Jeremiah 10, just as a little aside. Jeremiah 10, verse number 11, verse number 10. He says, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth shall tremble and the nation shall not be able to abide his indignation. Thus shall he say unto them, the gods, little g, that have not made the heavens and the earth, even they shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. He that made the earth by his power. He hath established the world by his wisdom. He has stretched out the heavens by his discretion. You know what the requirement is to be God? You step out there and create it. But don't use his dirt. Don't use his universe. Don't use his air. Make your own. You can't do that. The lie program says, oh, yeah, but you, you can do it. You can do it. And elevate the creature. So the plan of iniquity comes in the lie comes in and it's simply going to challenge the word of god now come back to mark 13 get back here in verse 7 when he says for such things must needs be these things have to happen you're going to see them 
it isn't that they're not happening. They have to happen to bring it to the climax, to bring it to the end. So it must needs be. Look down at verse 19, uh, Mark 13, 19. For in those days shall be afflictions, such as was not from the beginning of creation, which God created unto this time, neither shall be. Look at that. God created it, sin entered it, and you know what it's been? Sin's just been getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's never been as bad as it was back then, as it is now, and rah, 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 rah. Why? It's all perception. That's all it is. If the Lord tarries 100 years, folks 100 years out are going to look back and go, man, in the early 2000s, they had it easy. This is horrible. But we do that. We look back at the 1800s and say, man, that was bad. We got it easy. Or the good old days. Yeah, good old days, nothing. The first time any of us had to go without air conditioning on a hot, dusty day in the dirts of Kansas, you're not, you're not oh, the good old days, baloney. You're going to be looking for the Hyatt. Where's that at? You know, I'm, <laughs> you know what I mean, okay? But see, the, it's, it's, it's moving. Verse 21, 13, 21, And then if any man shall say to him, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is he, there, Believe him not, for false Christ and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce. Isn't that interesting? That's what they're doing. That's the whole goal of the Antichrist. That's the whole goal of all what the Lord, back in verse 6, 7, 8, well, down to 13, is trying to do. Come back up to verse 8. He's trying to get them. Look, there's a seduction plan coming your way. And it's designed to say, you see this stuff happening? The end is here. We're in it. He goes, no, you're not. It's not. So are you going to believe me? Or are you going to believe the Yahoo over there telling you it, you're at the end? It's, you're not at the end. Verse 8. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be earthquakes in diverse places. And there shall be famines and troubles these are the end of sorrows. No, the beginnings of sorrows. That's the point. They're, they're sitting here going, look, guys, he's telling them. He's sitting here. He's telling them. He's getting them warning, getting them ready. Now, again, I know what happens today. The preachers get the commentaries out, and the commentaries get the preachers out, and then they start to mat, try to match this stuff all up with the four horsemen in Revelation 6. Now, if you can do it, I give you power and good, good grief because, because there's a couple things. In Revelation 6, the four horsemen, the first rider is the Antichrist. So he can't be this. He's this. In Matthew and Mark, just by the way, something to put in your pipe and smoke, figure it out, think about it. That's what that means, by the way. I'm not... Or smoking, okay, it'll kill you. All right. In Matthew and in Mark, there is no mention in these verses about the the beginning of the 70th week, the signing of the contract with the Antichrist. You don't even know he's talking about the 70th week till you get down to verse 14 and he starts talking about the stuff Daniel talks about that's happening not at the beginning but in the middle of the week. That's the only way you know, any, especially in Matthew and Mark, anything that he's talking about. He doesn't use the start of the 70th week at all in any of this. He goes to midweek. So obviously, Christ is focusing in on what? What's going on in here, not what's going on out there. What's going on inside the little flock, their hearts, their inner man, their growth? Who cares what's going on out there? See, he's not concerned about the wars and the rumors of wars and the earthquakes and the pestilence. No, he's cared about how they're going to work and act in those situations. You follow that? 
That's what he's doing here. He's not saying, oh, here's the 70th week. No, the only way you know it is there's a passing mention of it in verse 14. And in Matthew 24, it's about verse 15, I think. It just, otherwise, you would never know where he's talking about on the timeline. He just wants to make sure they are ready. So he's giving them instructions, focusing in on them and what they, how they're going to be serving in, these, in the midst of the persecutions and the midst of all this trouble that's coming because of the Antichrist, because of the lie program, and because Israel has no faith. 13.9. Now, oh, man, time's up. So we'll have to come back to 13.9, but just catch it here. All right? Take heed to yourselves. For they shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogues you shall be beaten, and you shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. Now, come over to John 16. Just you got to catch this. Just kind of think about it, and we'll come back into this. When he says there about a testimony against them. Okay, you're going to be drugged in front of the governmental seat. That's what the list is there in verse 9. Okay, Rome, uh, John 16, sorry. And, and by the way, from verse 9 to 13 in Mark is an odd passage. It's just like plowing, plowing sand. It's just, okay, so we're going to do it. All right, we're going to plow right through it. Okay, but look at John 16. He's in the upper room. The only people in the presence with him is the 11 apostles. Judas is gone to do his betrayal, to do his dirty work. 16.1. Whoops, helps to be there. These things have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended. Now, the things he just spoke to him, verse, chapter 15, if you look back up at verse 18, if the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. Verse 26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear, what? Witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. So what are they going to be? They're going to be a testimony, aren't they? So when they're hauled in front of the courts, whether it's the synagogues or the government, what are they going to be doing? They're going to be a testimony against the nation. The them is Israel, the nation. They're going to stand there, and what are they going to, they're going to be pre, well, verse, chapter 16, verse 1, these things have I spoken unto you, that ye shall not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the time cometh, that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God service. Isn't that interesting? They're going to kill them, they're going to persecute them, and they're going to say, we're doing this in God's name. And you know what that is? That's a testimony against them. See. And when you go back to Mark 13, there's going to be some speaking. Verse 10, and the, and the gospel must first be published among all nations. The, the testimony that they're going to be preaching is the gospel of the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. Here comes the judge. Here comes the Messiah. Here comes the wrath. Here comes the righteousness. Here comes the power. Here comes great glory. You need to get right. You need to get in a little flock, and here's how you do it. And they're li that's literally what they're going to be preaching. Repent for the kingdom. You need to get right, man. Here he comes. Here comes the judge. And off he comes. Verse 11. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do ye premeditate. I love that. Premeditate. Think about what you're going to say. But whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, 
that, shall, uh, that speak ye, for it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Now, that's an interesting thing there, because that's the passage that they like to use, the prophecy preachers, that they just get up and go at it and let her fly. And if you pay attention to them long enough, you know that they have done the opposite of 2 Timothy 2.15 and have not studied. Because it's chaotic. It doesn't make sense. Premeditate. Think down through it. By the way, if you think about that, that is the same thing he tells them in Matthew 10, in the Great Commission. Matthew 10, where he lays out the commission from the day that they're with him all the way out the second coming, and he says, look, guys, there's going to be a time when you don't have to worry about praying or thinking about anything. The Holy Spirit will be there. He'll give you what he's talking That's not today. That's them. I know what happens. Everybody's Great Commission, Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, John, 19, John 20. No, Matthew 28 tells them what they're going to be doing in the millennial kingdom. Mark and Luke tell them what they're going to be doing in the book of Acts and into the 70th week. John says, here's the authority you're going on. That's what they say. The commission is Matthew 10. Okay? And we're not going to run back just for time. So, Matthew 10. Just, I'm sorry. <clears throat> I think we have a few minutes because we got started a little late, right? <laughs> If you got to go, you got to go. That's fine. We I understand. We'll, we're going to pick up and go through this because of the of the speaking and being given. Look at Matthew 10. Obviously, the first five verses you have the the 12. Okay, verse five. These 12, Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, "Go not in the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel." And then he goes off and he gives them great instruction about what they're going to be doing. Verse 17, But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. Again, he's warning them, trouble's coming, guys. In my absence, trouble's coming. And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my name's sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. Now, that's, we're similar to Mark 13. But Mark 13 isn't back here. Mark 13's looking this way, future. See? Okay, now that's going to tell us something here. Verse 19. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how, ye, how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak, for it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Again, that's early acts. They get a taste of it. They get a... They get a uh, they get the day of Pentecost, that's the fulfillment. They get a taste of that Antichrist. And the reason I say taste is because the body of Christ interrupted that, stopped that. If the body doesn't interrupt that, it's going to keep on trucking. It ain't stopping. So if the Lord is back here, okay, all right, he's sitting on the Mount of, Olive, Mount of Olives giving that second discourse, he starts his earthly ministry with an Olivet Discourse. He's ending it with, with this as he's looking toward the future of their tribulation and what's coming their way. And you know what he says? Don't think about anything. Don't worry about it. You'll have the Spirit. It'll be given to you. You're good to go. So you know what that tells us? That tells us that Jesus Christ believed that the time in which the commission that he gives the apostles is going to be fulfilled is in future tribulation, not in his immediate day. If, by the way, if you look at verse 23, but when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. You won't get it all covered, guys, before I come back. That's how you know he's going out to here. He takes the same instruction that he gives them in Matthew 10 and three years, a little over three years later in Mark 13, you know what he does? He repeats it. Doesn't change anything. He's repeating it to them as instructions for out there in the tribulation. The Lord Jesus Christ never, 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 never thought 
taught or indicated that the commission was to be a part of the dispensation of grace, the church, the body of Christ. He never instructed anyone in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to go be a part of the mystery program. He says, nope, we're here. That's what's coming. And when you get out in the middle of it, just relax. Don't worry about it. And we'll go back down through 9, 10, 11, and 12, and 13 next time. Just, you got to be, you got to be careful, guys. A lot of deception coming. Verse 13, by the way, verse 13, Mark 13, 13, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. In verse 20, he said, Except the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. So obviously the salvation here is a physical salvation into a physical kingdom from a physical uh, uh, tribulator. (laughs) Is that a word, tribulator? Troublemaker, okay, all right? So you got to pick what the Lord's after is here's the behavior that the little flock needs to have. They need to be trusting on on the word of, of, uh, they need to be trusting Christ, their Messiah, and then trust his word. And when these things happen for them, when these come up, here's the attitude they're to have, which, by the way, is the same for us. When tribulation comes up, our attitude should be Pauline. Not this stuff, but Pauline, okay? All right, a little bit all over the place this evening, but it is how it just flows. But the thing is, is... What, what the Savior is doing here in 6 to 13 is he's reminding them, you're going to have all this deception come up, and it's not the end. It's not what they're telling you. It's not that. It's, <laughs> it's designed to deceive you, to sift you, to seduce you away. So be careful. All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for who we are in your son. We thank you for the instructions here in Mark as we see what the Lord instructed the little flock, the attitude that they're to have through all of this. And their attitude is to be founded on the word of God. And same should ours be today as well. In your name we pray. Amen.